right, welcome. Good to see you. It's a beautiful afternoon. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm your guest speaker. Uh, no, we as a church have been going through a series called uh, Stories of Honor. And so today we have a guest speaker I get to introduce. Uh, his name is Pascal, and he is a chaplain with Corrections Services Canada. And so what he is going to do today is he's going to share something with you about honor. He's going to talk about who he is and what he does. And uh, thankfully, he is not only talking about honor, but he is also an honorable man. So you get the privilege of hearing about honor from an honorable man. So I would like to invite Pascal up. Um, can I just pray for you real quick? Sure. sure. Yeah. Father, thank you that uh, you are here with us today. And thank you for uh, Pascal and how trustworthy he is and for the way that he serves you and others um, as a calling, not just a job. It's not what he does, it's who he is. So I thank you that he is going to impart something to us today about honor through his work and through himself. Amen. Amen. I felt so small beside you. Usually, usually I, I, don't, I don't know why. Today, just here on this platform, I just felt like short, like really short. Usually I don't feel that way when we're having coffee. Maybe, it's, yeah. I, I like the coffee table better. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thank you for having me tonight, Pastor Greg. It's, uh, it, it's, it's so fun to be here. Uh, I, I was here last time, like maybe two years ago. I don't think you guys had kids, actually. And, and we, um, we had somebody with us that night. We had just brought somebody who was being evicted from his apartment in the downtown east side, uh, cockroach-infested hotel. And uh, this fellow had just finished his federal sentence for, um, I think it was a string of robberies and things like that. Um, and... He had just finished a federal sentence. I'd moved into the community now and was getting the support of Paul. We had connected him with one of our volunteers at the house, at the Salvation Army facility where he was staying. And then this volunteer uh, wanted to pass the, 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 the puck, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, and, and we needed somebody to work with this. And so we introduced Paul to him. And, and was that your first night meeting with him? And we said... That was his first night. You came out. I said, I need somebody to help me get this guy out of that apartment. And we got to bring, bring him somewhere. Uh, and we ended up placing him in the shelter for the night uh, with the Union Gospel Mission. But Paul, that was Paul's introduction to this kind of ministry that we do with um, society's most despised individuals. There's just no other way to put it. Um, we, we, we are, the cause we work for is not a sexy cause. <laughs> the work we do, you know, we're not uh, feeding the orphans. And uh, although a lot of them are orphans, grown-up orphans, um, we, 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 we are not rescuing, uh, you know, children from dire situations. Although these men and women often, often have been those children in those dire situations that needed uh, or could have used somebody to come in. And, and move into their lives with love and mercy. And, and so 
No, we work with people impacted by crime. The majority of people we work with are inmates and, and um, uh, inmates who are now inter reintegrating in the community. And, um, but before I go any further, I'd like to show a little video clip, if that's all right. Vic, are things queued up back there? For, all right. So it's, it's, it, maybe you've seen the movie Les Miserables. Um, great, great novel by uh, one of the best uh, novels ever written um, by Victor Hugo. And, and it's the story of a man who spent 20 years uh, as an inmate and who managed to flee uh, and escape. And in the scene you'll see, he meets, uh, he's sleeping outside of a church and he meets the bishop. And let's, let's watch how the story unfolds. Come and suffer, you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning, rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. Silver, we caught this man red-handed. He had the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness 
I have saved your soul for meeting of two men, the bishop and a criminal. It's, it's my favorite, my favorite um, piece of literature is that story and, and that's specifically that encounter between these two individuals. The following scene in the story is Jean Valjean who's in a chapel and, and has this meeting with Jesus. <laughs> Speaking, he's, he's kneeling at an altar and he's having a conversation with Jesus. And at that moment says, how can it be with, with the, this single act of mercy, you've changed my life. And, and he decides, he walks out of the chapel and decides to live an honorable life. And the story goes on where he rescues an orphan girl and, and has a business that's kind to his employees and uh, ultimately gives his life for another man. But there is no Jean Valjean or redeemed Jean Valjean without the bishop. Jean Valjean became the hero who he is, he, he, that he became, he had this moment where he surrendered his life and made this decision to embrace righteousness because he was shown mercy. He was shown kindness. He didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. But that is precisely the point of mercy is to treat somebody not like they deserve, but better. Better. That is mercy. And that is what Jesus is calling us to do. That's what Jesus did. Actually, I was watching this again and, and, and thinking of Jesus. This is what Jesus went around doing time and time and time over again where he walked around, and you'll remember this episode, this moment where Jesus arrives at the table of a tax collector, a man who was despised, a thief who made his wealth and his fortune by, by taking from those who don't have, by cheating others and making himself richer and richer, but despised by his community, seen as a traitor, seen as garbage, Nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. But Jesus walks up to the table and says, Matthew, I want to have dinner with you tonight. And moves into Matthew's life. And that single act of kindness, of mercy of Jesus and what unfolds changed Matthew's life. And we know his legacy. <laughs> the epistle he wrote. I work for an organization, a Christian ministry called Better Life. 
And really what we do, we're a volunteer movement. There's just three of us working in that little society. Myself, the only full-time guy, and then I have a chaplain in Abbotsford, another one in Victoria. And what we do is we go around and search churches to find the bishops of this world. We're sitting there in a pews just waiting to be used by God. Those that have been given a gift of hospitality, those who have a pastoral calling, are shepherds at heart, those who are just kind, those who have known mercy and want to extend that same mercy to others. And those who will say, I will, I will open up my heart. I will open up my schedule to sit with some of our community's most despised individuals, hated individuals. And I will show them mercy. I will show them the love of Jesus. I will show them kindness. I will show them that they are worthy to be loved. I will be Jesus to them. Those people are, that's what we do. So sometimes I say the society caters to people impacted by crime, but really our real care, our real beneficiaries are Christians. And those are the people like Paul that stepped up and said, hey, I'd like to know more about what you do. I'd like to take my lunch hour and meet with somebody who just come out of jail who needs a friend. I'd like to, 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 to go in the halfway house where these men live and extend friendship, build rapport, share the gospel with them. And so that's what we do. We, we kind of work with believers, and what we do is we coach them, train them, equip them to work in a very unique environment, a really difficult environment in many ways, very complex with people that not a lot of people want to be friends with. We do it in prison. We do it outside of prison. And we uh, minister that way. And I, you know, I, I love that little scene because stories of honor. And did you notice in the bishop's prayer as he's praying to blessing the food and praying for the women who prepared the food, he says, Lord, bless our honored guest, our honored guest, treating people with honor, and that's what this man did, even though not knowing this man would betray him, but that became an opportunity to show mercy. I'd like to invite uh, Paul to come up and, and share a little bit about his journey in ministering to um, offenders. And I, I told Paul yesterday, I, I, and I didn't know if I, to, I told you before. <laughs> I love you, man. 
That's so honoring of you right now. <laughs> I, I don't know if I told him, but uh, uh, last night uh, I said, Paul, did, did you know that this place where you minister is where and I, the most, and I'm going to say I'm French, so forgive my French, but badass people <laughs> go to when they come out of jail. Like the, 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 the criminals where, that are the, the offenders that nobody wants to have in their community or wants to have in their halfway house, there's one place they go to when they, they, have, they reach release, and there's one place they can go to in Vancouver, and it's a facility managed by Salvation Army, and that is where this guy goes every week to minister and show mercy and kindness. And um, so tell us about a bit what God's been doing in your life and, and what you've learned also about the people you work with in this environment that's is very grossly misunderstood uh, by, by people who are not in that environment. Thanks. So... Uh, <clears throat> I would be what's called a volunteer chaplain. And so Pascal trains me and I report to him. And so I go to Belkin House, which is downtown. It's the Salvation Army building. On Wednesday nights around 5.30, there's uh, kind of an open house for volunteers. Uh, so there's other volunteers that come and there's a games night and sometimes there's food. And so that becomes like my window to go and meet and greet some of these guys. <clears throat> and so, um, I show up and I maybe look at the, the board, see who's new, go introduce myself, or I go play a game, or I capitalize on what the other volunteers are doing, and I just kind of move my way into conversation with some of these guys. So sometimes I'm very just upfront, you know, hey, my name's Paul, I'm a volunteer chaplain, you know, interested in taking a spiritual test, or sometimes I just ask them how their day was. And then other times I try to be a little more stealthy about it. Maybe I go and read about some of the crimes they committed or where they came from and try to use that as a way of, of getting to know them and, and also respecting them. Uh, it would be, I don't want to be presumptuous that uh, they should listen to me or that uh, they, I deserve their time. So looking at these guys watching their behavior, reading about them, gives me a clue as to how to act respectfully towards them and gain their trust. So that's kind of, you know, how I walk into a Wednesday night. Um, but I think uh, the, the first kind of thing I wanted to say, uh, I was thinking about the story of uh, David and Goliath. And so when you, in David and Goliath, um, you know the story of Small David, mighty in God, Goliath was the best giant the Philistines had. When you sit down to talk with these guys, sometimes they really like to present themselves like a Goliath. Um, they certainly face Goliaths um, from their past. Uh, when they're walking on the street, maybe they see someone from their past and offers them another way to go back into their old habits. So they face... Um, very difficult moments where they have to choose. And so when I'm sitting down with them, sometimes uh, because I'm a volunteer or I'm a chaplain or I've approached them, they feel like they need to present themselves as a Goliath. And so they'll boast about their day. 
and they'll tell me about how strong they were when um, like they were tempted to talk to somebody they shouldn't. But what I'm trying to do is call out the David. And um, courage isn't just telling me that you've done well. And I love it when they tell me that they're following the rules and like that's good. Like um, them, them saying, hey, I, I didn't do drugs today, like that's good. That's, uh, I, don't, I don't undermine that. When they, I celebrate with them. But courage comes in also sharing your faults, not just your strengths. And so I'm looking to call out the David even when they present like a Goliath. And so having that kind of conversation requires listening and prayer. And courage then looks like faith and humility. So sometimes when they break the rules, when they do something they shouldn't do, and it takes a little time to pull that out of them, then we have a moment, what we would call repentance. And so repentance for their act and then confessing to their parole officer. So truth, repentance, and faith, it's weaved into normal conversation all the time. And so I find it easy to kind of underestimate sometimes um, the casual conversation I had. But when I reflect on it, I kind of notice how important it was. The second thing is I'm thinking uh, the story of Peter and John uh, when they were preaching the gospel and healing the sick and the Pharisees tried to kick them out of the town and they wouldn't stop and the Pharisees tried to imprison them and then they wouldn't stop and the Pharisees tortured them and they still wouldn't stop. And finally the Pharisees said, like, you know, we're going to kill you unless you leave. And Peter said, full of the Holy Spirit, um, he said here, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so when I... When I go to Belkin, sometimes I feel, I often feel intimidated. Um, compared to these guys, I come from a pretty soft, lily, white, Christian background. Um, so I don't feel cool or hardcore or acceptable. Like, they're way more badass than I am. So... It's not French. It's not French. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I can, you know, when they present me as a Goliath, sometimes I feel tempted to act like a Goliath too and, and to boast in something I don't need to boast in. And then I kind of stop modeling that real courage. So what, what Peter did is Peter said his authority comes from what he's seen and heard Jesus do. And so my authority at Belkin comes from what I've seen and heard Jesus do in my life. Um, I'm not there to boast about me. I'm listening to them, and I'm boasting about Christ. And at the end of the day, I'm there to support them. I'm there to talk with them. I'm there to help them with their reintegration plan. I'm asking them how it's going with their counseling, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I'm there to share life through the gospel and to care for them and to... Uh, give them the courage they really long for. And so my authority and my love and my reason for being there is that I have seen and heard Jesus do something in my life and I want to see and hear Jesus do it in theirs. And we had a, we had a guy, uh, Chris, who became a believer. And uh, he ended up breaking the rules and going back to prison, but Pascal is still in contact with him. And when he finishes his time, he'll come back out and we'll resume our Bible studies. And We'll keep 
you know, direction, not perfection. And so um, we'll, we'll boast in what Christ is doing in his life. Um, finally, that I think about the story of uh, Josh and Caleb. Moses sent a bunch of the Israelites to the promised land to say, hey, God gave us this land. What, uh, what do you think of it? How can we take it? And so everyone came back with a negative report except for Josh and Caleb. And Josh and Caleb said, there's fruit, there's giants, but we can take the land because the Lord said so. And so I want to finish my part by saying to you that, um, you know, we can take the fourth floor. I want a team. I don't want to be the only one doing this. I would love for people to join me. And we can, we can do this as a church, as a team. There are battles to be won. There is fruit uh, to be enjoyed. And so I'm here to give you a favorable report of the fourth floor in Belkin. God is doing something, and we've seen it. And sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's pronounced. But simply going and deciding that you will not make it about you and you will respect them and be courageous and live honorably in front of them and, and serve them so that they can live honorably again. That, that requires a miracle. That requires the presence of the Holy Spirit. But God told us that the gospel is for everybody, including these guys on the fourth floor. And so I'm here to tell you we can do it. We can love these people. We can see their lives changed. We can serve them through the power of the gospel and with our lives. So. Thank you, Paul. I, I, I want to share just a, a couple of illustrations or stories, real life stories. And all, if I was to tell you that there's a man I work with who uh, is despised, nobody in BC wants to have him in his town because he, he's, he's got this uh, reputation of being a notorious sexual offender and who um, molested uh, two of his kids and a stepkid, I think. Um, he did a long time inside. He was released uh, several times and always going back. He's hated. His face has been on the media when every time he comes out, he's been on posters. Uh, it's just, just a horrible reputation and, and acts, horrible acts of violence against innocent people. And I was, I was a bit disgusted at first when I found out about his story, like who he is and what he's done. And, but I decided to, I had a choice to make. <laughs> am I going to be the chaplain or not? <laughs> or am I going to be like Jesus? Or am I going to be just like every, the community around him that just despises him? And, and so I chose to trust Jesus and I started to minister to him, thinking maybe, what, what would Jesus do? Well, he would start with a conversation. So we went out for coffee, got to know him a bit. Um, I've known him for several years now, and eventually he opened up to me about how he himself was molested over 300 times. 300 times. Um... 
suddenly the perspective changes. <laughs> the perspective changes on how I, at that moment I was seeing this man in one way and kind of doing the ministry with kind of, you know, like you hold a, a dirty pair of underwear or something. <laughs> and so suddenly I was in it. <laughs> and I've got these dirty underwear and I'm <laughs> trying to wash them with them. <laughs> hands in poop, trying to understand deeper, like, tell me, how did that affect you? And he starts opening up about how, the, the ripple effect of that and how he's just broken inside. And does it forgive or does it delete what he's done? No, he's hurt people. But my perspective changed. I started to treat him like a human being and showed I cared. And he reciprocated by opening up about his own story and, uh, and I'm still in a relationship with him, still trying to find a way to his heart, always bring Jesus back to him and the Lord. And there's, a, there's, there's layers and layers of hurt. He does not trust <laughs> and has a hard time trusting God as well. Has a hard time trusting God. So how could he let all of this happen, right? The more I meet with him and the more I choose to go, I, I, I wanted to build, burn bridges with this guy last time, a year ago, because he did something to just screw up and go back to jail. And I thought, man, you're stupid. I did think that. I think that of people sometimes. And then, and then, and then he comes out and reaches out to me while he's inside and, and, and says, I need you. And so I've started meeting again with him. And, and it's interesting. I was going to, I was going to drop like throw in the towel with this guy and, and, and suddenly I'm finding in a place where I, I chose to push beyond my own limits and suddenly he's opening up to new depths and a new way where I feel we're finally breaking through and, and, and we're going somewhere and he's moving closer and closer to Jesus. So I have very often to go beyond my own limits and in, this, in the spirit of mercy, trust the leading of the spirit as I engage with people. There's another story. Uh, a fellow named Pierre was a believer, attended the church, and uh, had been to prison several times for different uh, financial crimes, and, but nobody knew in this new church where he was. He ended up borrowing $10,000 from um, uh, a friend at church and uh, lost uh, the money completely and even got involved in some kind of uh, messy financial situation and was charged with, um, with, with, with fraud uh, for several thousands of dollars. And, um, and his friend Robert, whom now had lost $10,000 through this man, initially thinking he was making an investment, <laughs> had a choice to make. And decided to show mercy and to forgive, to forgive John for taking that money and losing it. And he's never going to see it back. But Robert chose to forgive 
And when John went to jail for several years, he had lost his marriage. He'd lost all the, his, his home. He had lost everything. Nothing, not a penny left. His reputation ruined and alone. Alone. Because he didn't just borrow from Robert, as you may imagine. And so everybody rejected him. Everybody hated him. But Robert chose to do something different and wrote letters to John while he was in prison in Alberta. Robert is from Vancouver. Eventually, John was transferred to uh, one of the lower mainland uh, lower, uh, federal prisons. And for several years, Robert was the only man who visited John in prison. The only visitor, the only outside contact that John had during his sentence was Robert, who faithfully every month would go and visit him despite the fact he had been ripped off for 10 grand by this man. When John came out of prison, Robert set up an accountability group with some guys from his church so that John could go back to that church and could reintegrate and he could have friends and support in the community, not feel alone. I sat in the chapel in prison with, with John as he was crying, saying, Pascal, I never knew the love of God. I knew God, but I didn't know his love until Robert came and visited me in prison and prayed with me and then came again and came again and came again. And he never asked once for the money, but he just ministered to me in love and grace. It's interesting, John surrendered his life to Jesus, <laughs> repented, and now God is just helping him get back on his feet, just finished his sentence in January. And uh, is now has several companies to his name, and they're legit. <laughs> and he's because he's a good businessman. And uh, but he is transformed, a bit like Jean Valjean. I want to tell you about a lady named Julie, who um, immigrated here to Canada from from Chile, and. Uh, has been an alcoholic all her life, had an alcoholic mom, um, eventually came here to Canada, and eventually, in a drunken stupor, killed her husband. And uh, this lady in her 50s was uh, sentenced for manslaughter uh, in prison. Actually, second-degree murder. Uh, it's a life sentence. And... Um, She's recently come out in the community, and I've been meet her, meeting her um, faithfully. And um, we met in a coffee shop uh, just a couple of months ago in the new year. And uh, talk about 
God just showing mercy and kindness to, to people. So this lady, she's old, she's got a cane, and she could hardly walk, and, and we're sitting in this little coffee shop and talking with each other, and I'm coaching her because she, she has an issue. I sent her to a church next to the house where she's residing, and, and the pastor was talking about black sheep, and she felt offended. She felt he was pointing her in this small group, and she had an issue with that, and so so I'm coaching her as the chaplain, saying, well, did you, are you sure you understand what he was saying right? And maybe you should bring it up to him. So I'm helping her get over that hurdle. And so just doing some pastoral care and, and coaching, life coaching with this individual who's, who, who has social barriers and, and, and a jaded view of relationships. And, and so at the end of the meeting, I pray for her, and, and she tells me, oh, I've got arthritis and all that, because I asked her about why she's got the cane. And, and so in that coffee shop, as I took her hands and started praying for her, speaking words of life, saying, you're not a black sheep. <laughs> you're a precious sheep. You're a lamb of God. And, and just speaking words of pro prophesying on her identity in Christ in the coffee shop there. And then suddenly uh, I decided, ah, let's just pray for, for, for her, her arthritis. And so I just start commanding the arthritis to go. And as I'm praying for her, and, 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 and she's got her eyes closed, and she says, yes, yes, yes. I, uh, at the end of the prayer, I say, so how do you feel? She says, pasta pastel, because she's from Chile, she speaks Spanish. And pasta pascal, oh, as you were praying for me, I, 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 I felt something come out, come out of me right here. And then she pokes me, so this old grandma, like, pokes me right here, like, and, 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 and says, right there, right there, something came out of me as you were praying. And, 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 and I, I can't feel my pain. I said, really? Really? How about you stand up, Julie? It's like snap. So, so she stands and right away stands up, no pain, and starts walking. And, and, and then she walks with the cane usually, so she takes this one step. And then kind of like a baby, kind of walking. For... And then she starts walking with some swagger, like in, in the coffee shop and saying, oh, oh, oh my God, oh my God, oh, oh, this is incredible. And then she starts crying. <laughs> and it was so funny in that little coffee shop how that day this, this lady felt something come out of her and it went away and the pain of arthritis went away. And I said, Julie, now go do the same. Go do the same. Go pray for people. The Lord is with you. He's made you, given you a gift. And so, and we, I've seen the hand of God, Jesus himself coming, showing mercy, mercy. She got into a fight several, uh, not even a month ago. She was scheduled to be baptized in that little church where she decided to give the pastor a chance, you know, and, and realized, man, I was so childish, she says. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, now she was scheduled to be baptized. It was the weekend before Easter. And, and the devil knows. Somebody comes from the institution with whom she didn't have a good relationship, and she went, had a, a fight, uh, an argument with this lady. And uh, when you're an offender, no, if, even if you're 60 years old or 65, if you've committed a murder, uh, the authorities always see you as potentially being able to repeat the crimes you've done. And that's how every offender is perceived the same way, as being potentially able to go back to where they want or commit the same offense. And so we manage them in the community and hope they don't and, and put boundaries around them in certain conditions to avoid. But so, so you have this lady who committed murder uh, in, a, in an argument with her husband, now is in a, in a situation close quarters with uh, some ladies. She has a cane, 
at, at that time that she still has it. Uh, and, and she started getting really angry at these people and swearing. This lady was getting baptized that weekend, started swearing and calling the other lady name. It was bad, like a real cat fight, to the point where she was basically facing revocation of her parole and on the verge of being sent back to the prison. It's funny because that day, all day, I had in my mind this, this, this thing, this, this little voice saying, call Julie today. Call Julie. Call Julie. And it kept, it stayed with me all day as I was doing my other things. And at the end of the day, I was tired, just wanted to go home. And I still having this little thing, call Julie, call Julie. So I park in my driveway at home and I decide to call Julie. I say, hey, Julie, how you doing? As soon as I pick up, she picks up the phone, she says, she breaks out on the phone, Pastor Pascal, I'm so glad you called because something terrible has happened. Something terrible, terrible. And uh, I've had a fight with somebody and, and I feel so bad and I was wrong. And, and, but, and, but now I don't know what's going to happen. And because I know this environment, I kind of know what's coming down the pipe for her. And, and so we started praying over the phone. And I just said, Julie. And then she tells me, I'm supposed to be baptized this weekend. And I could just see the hand of the devil in there just trying to ruin this holy moment for this lady. And I said, let's pray. And so we prayed over the phone. And the peace of God just came over her in that time. And I said, I'll pick you up tomorrow, first thing in the morning. I'll drive you myself to the parole office. And we're going to meet with your officer. And uh, we're going to see what, you know, what's going to happen. But I'll be there with you. Picked her up in the morning, went to the parole office, and um, before the meeting, I, she was in the waiting room, I, I went in the back and, and interacted with the supervisor and the parole officer, and I started telling them about the ministry that the church next door to the house where she lives, like literally three doors down, <laughs> was doing with her. I said, did you know that Julie's been going to that church and has been making friends? And she goes to that church and, and goes to a, a Bible study and does some pro-social <laughs> activities. <laughs> and um, she goes to church on Sunday. And she, the, the church has a counselor. And, and the counselor has been doing some trauma counseling with Julie. They've done 10 sessions so far. Did you know? And they've unpacked a lot of stuff. And that's all stuff they're doing for free for Julie. And she's been going out on some outings to, to the restaurant with the seniors group uh, midweek. And where they, they, they talk and, and have some outings here and there. And she's really connecting well. And they're embracing her. And so the, the parole officers didn't know that that was taking place. And so I had a chance to, 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 to show, uh, mention these things to her. And I said, I'm pretty sure they would be willing to, like that counselor would be willing to address like um, uh, uh, anger management techniques with her and things like that. And so lo and behold, we... We, we, we do a joint meeting now. Julie comes in, and, and she's got a, a scolding from the, uh, the parole officer and was told she's got to get a grip on her anger issues or else she'll be going back in. The house will withdraw support. But they said, Julie, there's a lot of good things going on in your life too, right? And good community. And so we don't want you to lose that. We want you to build on that. And so that day, they decided to let Julia go instead of they could have called the police police stations right across the street the cops come over cough her and she's gone <laughs> the at the other end they pack her boxes and she goes back to jail but that day she was shown mercy by her parole officer 
I think by God who had orchestrated that, starting with a phone call. And she's still in a sanctification journey, but I saw her just on Friday. I took her out for pizza. <laughs> this old grandma introduced her to my son. And, um, and we talked. He says, Pascal, everything has changed since that day. Like it, things are harmonious in the house. I have greater control over what's going on. And I know it was right. It was the devil trying to ruin things. And that weekend, she was released. And that weekend, she was baptized. She was able to go through with that. And so these are little stories of how this society, better life, kind of works with people's lives. And, and sometimes it's easy to judge. We see things on, on, on TV or in the media and, and horrible crimes, no doubt about it. Perhaps even tonight here in this room, there's some people, you have been victims yourself. And I'm, re I'm aware of that. And I'm not trying to glorify what we're doing or glorify... A crime or um, because you too need mercy and grace in your journey it just so happens that at this point in time I'm among those that Jesus says go visit prisoners <laughs> uh, Paul's among those and uh, but Jesus loves everyone <laughs> and everyone deserves mercy grace compassion love everybody needs somebody to sit down with them and ask, hey, well, tell me your story and speak life in those stories and see where God has shown up along the journey. And if he hasn't so far, when we show up, God shows up. And so I will affirm what my brother Paul said tonight. That, uh, our heart is to find some bishops <laughs> and some Pauls and, and others like G who will go like Jesus and embrace the most despised and rejected individuals. And, you know, my last thought is this. It's, it's, Jesus said the, the, the greatest act of love is to love, was to die for those who love. But Jesus said something, love your enemies. And for me, that was, a, a growing up in the church, I'm, I'm like this guy, like grew up, I'm a preacher's kid, grew up in the suburbs and, you know, nothing really edgy happened to me and a simple life and and i always struggle with this idea like love your enemies what does that mean i don't have a lot of enemies i like i don't I mean, do i have enemies i don't know i like to be a good guy and so good guys don't get a lot of enemies i guess and and, and so I, I was struggling and one day i was ministering with an individual who was despised and he had tons of enemies in the society in the community his victims and the family of his victims hated him the media hated him. The authorities didn't want to have him in their town. I mean, he was just despised by everyone. And God asked me to open up my life to him and let him in and try to know him and show grace and, and to love him. And to love society's enemy. <laughs> to love a victim and her family's enemy. Because they're not ready yet. They're not there. They're hurting. They're in a journey. They're a different journey. And yet this guy needs to experience the love of God. And so God says, You're here. Maybe you, you don't have enemies, but how about you love somebody else's enemy? And I discovered, you know, that through that act of love, I was somehow getting closer to that ideal that Jesus says, love your enemies. <laughs> and, and, and discovering the depth of God's love in a brand new way like I'd never experienced it before. And so 
the path of obedience sometimes begins with loving somebody else's enemy. And uh, maybe tonight God is stirring something in your heart as you listen to this. And I'd be willing to talk with you. I have my little table in the back and to talk with you about what that looks like and how we can come alongside of you so that you're not going in blind, <laughs> but you, you receive coaching, you receive support as you be Jesus and start loving people. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pascal. Thank you.